it went from being just a religion to a full-on cult. Everything was controlled. Basically called himself God. I was sneaking out at night, shaking in fear of my dad finding out. I remember I looked over and I saw my three boys just standing. Welcome to another episode of On The Edge with Andrew Gold. I'm your host, Andrew Gold, the same name as the person in the title of The Thing. Uh, today, I've got Cece Hendrickson on the show. Um, she grew up in quite extraordinary circumstances. She had three mums and shared her husband later on um, with four other wives, and she was 16 when she was forced to be with that husband. This was all part of being in the FLDS, that's the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. It's sort of like Mormonism, but extreme. She explains in the podcast that the FLDS broke off from uh, Mormonism because they believed so strongly in polygamy and Mormonism was cutting that out. So polygamy was a big part of her life. She's now out and uh, happily married. That's not giving away the ending because we don't speak so much about her life now. It's more about her life in the cult. She's a really wonderful, lovely person. What a fantastic speaker she is. And if you want to support her, go to her Instagram. Go check her out. It's just Cece Hendrickson. Just search that in Google with Instagram. And get hold of Pink Velour. That's her um, brand that she started, which is for... Uh, strong. I don't really do it justice. She does at the end. You'll see. You know, women who have had to put up with a lot of shit. I would say. Um, so she's absolutely brilliant. There are lots of big episodes planned. Lots of big stuff coming up. But now you're on the edge of the FLDS with Cece Hendrickson. Cece, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I am very well. Thank you. Tell me, I was listening to you speak before and you speak beautifully about all of this difficult upbringing and strange things and differences and things. Um, how how was it different? I mean, what was it like? Give me a picture of growing up in the FLDS. Okay. So, I mean, most families, which in my case, my dad had multiple wives. Well, we call them wives, even though they're not like legally married. It's partners, I guess. And I never knew it any other way. My dad had his second wife when I was 10 months old. So I always knew my family as having, you know, multiple moms. And for most people, that's really how it is. Um, and then, you know, you grow up just thinking that that's normal, normal life to have a dad and several moms, you know, all living under the same roof, lots and lots of siblings. You know, that was pretty much the only different thing about my upbringing until I was about 12 years old. And then the leadership changed. The The leader that was the leader when I was a child before I was 12 years old had died and his son took over. And his son is very, um, he's very, I don't know what the word would be as far as like how he was able to control so many people and a lot of the rules and everything changed. And so what went from being somewhat of a normal childhood, you know, changed drastically. And um, it became, it went from being just like a religion to a full on cult. Um, mm. Everything was controlled, what you ate, how you dressed, what time you woke up, what time you went to bed. Um, every detail of your day was mapped out by him and you had to follow it. And if you didn't, 
that would deem you as like unworthy and you would get punished. So is that, are we talking about, and I know you don't like to say his name too often, but I, I feel I have to at least <laughs> once for the audience. Is that Warren, <laughs> Je- Warren Jeffs? It, it is. Yes. Warren Jeffs. Okay. Well, we can get on to him and what he did. He's, he's just the, one of the worst people I've ever come across doing all of these, these things. And I think what's really interesting about what you what you've just said about your childhood is uh, something that we overlook sometimes when we talk about cults and these kinds of maybe authoritarian sects and things like that is that uh, there are sometimes positive sides. Not every moment is horrible, and it sounds like the early years of your childhood, despite this unusual or unorthodox having several different mums and things, was that quite joyful? Yeah, for sure. You know, and that's what's crazy about it. And and I'm glad that you brought this up because I was just thinking about this even this last weekend where I'm like, you know, there are parts of my life in the cult that weren't just awful. Do I miss it? No, I don't. But it wasn't just like always horrible and miserable, especially those first years. Um, you know, my dad was, he was actually a very present dad up until that time. And he took us camping, fishing, and just, he was a great father. And after that leader, Warren took over, that's when even my dad changed in the way he parented everything. Like everything was completely different after that. That's what's such a shame, isn't it? And I think there is room for even what we might consider quite severe communities or very authoritarian communities uh, in this world, because some people seem to enjoy it. I think the problem is there's no individual liberty. Somebody can't just often can't just or feels coerced to stay at least. They can't just leave. They can't yeah. do what they want. But uh, I'm often told by people who have been in different kinds of communi- communities like this, that there is this kind of more of a maybe storytelling tradition and more of a communal feel. What did you call each? I mean, how many mums did did you have then? Was there one? I mean, your birth mother, was she different from the others to you? I mean, yeah, because I mean, she obviously, when you have your own children, you love them more than anything, like you would do anything for them. Now, that's not to say that the other moms didn't love me. They just probably had different ways of showing it. And um, especially the second mom, the one that was there through my whole childhood as well. Um, and they are actually sisters. And so they, (laughs) yeah. So they got along really well for the most part and they raised each other's children as their own. It wasn't until my dad took his third wife that I didn't feel that I didn't feel as like, loved, I guess you would say. She was very much, um, I'm not sure. Like my dad kind of just let her do things so much different than the other two. And the kids and her did not really get along at all. Um, Mm. And that's pretty common, especially if you grew up with just a certain, you know, like I did, I grew up with these two moms up to a certain point. And then this other woman comes in and everything changes. And so- yeah. What did you call them? Like your aunt and this third woman, were they, did you call them mum? Mother. Yeah. Mother and then their name. Yeah. Mother sounds quite serious, doesn't it? Yeah. It was <laughs> mother and father. <laughs> mother, father, brother. Was there, was there a lot of brother mention and sister? Because in Jehovah's Witness, for example, there's a lot of brother so and so and sister so and so. Yeah. Um, no, not that's not really how they did it there. They would call them uncle. So. Um, like the leader, his name was uncle and then his name. And that's just how, like, that's how we uh, addressed 
anyone in authority um, was called uncle and then their name. Yeah, there's something slippery about the word uncle, I think. When when used for someone who's not your uncle, I know we do it for like friends, parents and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Sure, it just sure. can it can be slippery sometimes. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like um the I mean creepy uncle even like it just has that like vibe to it and it's not it's mm. not good. So, yeah, yeah. And so how many I guess okay, I want to ask you about the dynamics of of what is polygamy really, but I don't necessarily want to ask you too much about your own because it might be a bit weird to talk about your your own parents personally unless you want to but what is the dynamic typically does a you know is a mum sleeping in the same bed as the husband where how does that work sure. I suppose sex- sexually as well yeah sure um you know I'm not sure how it was exactly for my parents but that there definitely was you know the, the man had his own uh personal relationship with each woman separately um and that's that's how I grew up. That's how I knew it. Like, you know, dad would just go to whichever mom's room he was going to stay in that night. And that was that, you know. So mm. it must create um, and again, not necessarily speaking about your family, but it must create jealousy and with those kinds of dynamics. Sure. Um, and, you know, I felt that after I, you know, grew up and, you know, was put with a person and I sure you feel those feelings and it's just it's very unnatural um for most people i mean some people are fine with it but for most people it's unnatural to want to share your partner um and especially when it's forced (laughs) like you don't get to choose that you know it's just part of how life is and so yeah there was definitely moments of jealousy for sure i suppose I suppose we should t- talk about what for those who don't know what the FLDS is. I mean, LDS is Latter Day Saints, which which based, that me- as far as I know that means Mormon, right? And then what's right. FLDS? FLDS is how the Mormon Church started. Actually, that's why it has F for fundamentalist um, because that is how the LDS Church even began. It started with uh, polygamy and um, a lot of those things, and then. As years went on, the LDS decided that they didn't want to practice that anymore, and so they that a big split happened. So it's they still um, believe in the same book. They still, uh, you know, study like it's the Book of Mormon, and they do a lot of things the same. But polygamy is carried on in the FLDS when it is not in the LDS, and. Um, as I said before, the FLDS has just gotten so much more like outrageously strict, which I don't think that goes on in the LDS. Um, you know, they have a little bit more freedom, I guess you could say. So for those who are new to this, I suppose you could summarize FLDS is a fundamentalist version, hence the F, uh, that broke off because polygamy was very important to them and i mean now looking back of course this was always going to happen they were going to become far more severe and extreme right right i mean they had to they wanted to carry on this thing um and i think a lot of it was that there were men that already had multiple wives and they didn't want to be like well we're not living that lifestyle anymore so goodbye to you i choose you i don't think they wanted to do that so they carried on like this lifestyle and then it just got like you said more and more extreme as the years went on it's such a bizarre thing this um desire i think for polygamy at least from from where i'm sitting because i do understand how um there are a lot of 
men in particular start a lot of communities and cults and things because they want to have power over women and to exert power and to have sex with whoever they want to and all those kinds of things. But men do that in monogamous relationships as well. A lot of them get off on the thrill of it. What is this desire? And it happens in other religions as well. What is this desire to have, and we can only speculate, but to have multiple wives? There's there's a few reasons behind it, I feel like. And um, what we were taught growing up was that we were commanded by God to multiply and replenish the earth. <laughs> and so the only way to do that, like, you know, a woman could only have a baby every so often. So they're like, well, then I need oh. more than one woman to mm. do this job or commandment by God, which that's not what God meant when he said that. We can just clear that up right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but that's a huge like excuse or like reasoning behind why they chose to do that um, to make people more comfortable with it, I guess. And obviously, I have my own speculations of why, and I think it's just corruption. Um, you know, men that can't control their desires and they just want more and more and more and more. And if they have a bunch of women who are just willing to, you know, bow and scrape, okay, yes, you know, whatever you say, I'll go here, I'll go there, I'll marry this person. You know, if you're if you're raised that way, you don't even know that you can say no. And that's how places like the FLDS cult are um, created. So is the, is there do you often hear about infidelity even outside of the three or four wives that someone has? Um, not necessarily because they, I mean, that did happen. Sure, that definitely did happen. Um, not with my dad, not with, you know, the the man that I was placed with. But that definitely did happen in the community. Um, most people, they wanted to stay in the good graces with the leader. So they would wait till the leader um gave them their partners. You didn't get to choose who you married or whatever. Um, and so that a lot of times they would just wait until they were given, you know, another partner, another partner. And I gather the leader, uh, as the one who took over, whose whose name I shan't uh, mention again, but but he 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 had like pictures. There were pictures of him in everyone's homes, right? Yes, huge pictures, life size. Um, in many rooms of the home. It wasn't ever just one. Like there was a picture of him pretty much everywhere. Um, It was definitely one of those things that I think it was, you know, it was his power, like another way to have power over people. You look at that picture and he basically called himself God. Um, You know, if you looked at that picture, you were talking to God, you pray to that picture. You, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> and did you, I mean, let's say with his father then before, who who wasn't so bad, did, when you were a child, do you remember sort of venerating him and feeling like he might be God? Yeah, sort of. I mean, um, yeah, I think my dad and everyone kind of talked about him that way, even though I was super young. Um, that's just how we looked at the leader the leaders, whoever was in charge at the time, is they were our connection to God. There was, um, you know, we were taught that you couldn't get to God except through these men. And um, so even your own inspiration, your own like uh, gut feeling, that was totally like, no, you do not heed any of that. That's just 
selfishness. You always go back to what the leader said, what he wants. And if there's ever a question, you um, go to them for their guidance. How how has that affected you even later in life, growing up? Um, you know, having grown up, always having to go to this person, never being quite sure of what you can and can't do. I imagine there was a lot of uh, needing to be humble and modest as well. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and I struggled with that. I'll be honest. As a teenager, um, I've always kind of been a wild spirit, and I, it really was hard for me to be like, okay, father, or okay, you know. There was times I just didn't want to, and I. I, I had my own ways of like just rebelling a little bit. Um, you know, I wanted to date boys my age. I wanted to go do things that that normal kids my age did, you know. And so there was a time there that I was sneaking out at night and going out with uh, boys that were like struggling in their beliefs and were pretty much on their way out of the cult. And that was my way of just being like this, I'm going to experience life regardless, you know. Um, until my dad found out and then I had to obviously rein it back in because it was either I fix it and stop doing that or I have to go. And at that time I was only 15. So I didn't want to go. Take me inside the head of a 15 year old then who's been told all these things about, you know, uh, God through this leader and everyone's watching you and they know what you're doing. And then you're going on a, a, a secret date with a, a boy. Like what's going through your mind? Um, a lot of it was like I was afraid of getting in trouble. You know, yeah. I, I remember one night, it was probably only the second or third time I had snuck out. I was shaking in fear of my dad finding out. Like I was so scared. Um, he didn't end yeah. up finding out that time. But, you know, obviously I knew I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. Like kids shouldn't sneak out at night. But in my mind, I was like, this is the only way I can do it. My dad isn't going to allow it. Like, no way. So, you know, that was what, that was my little rebellion at the time. Um, and a lot, a lot of it was just fear. Like if we, if I get found out, then I'm going to get in trouble. That was a big part of it. And, um, I had a lot of anger, I feel like too, where I was just like, you know, cause someone did tell on me, they saw me, told my dad, oh. And I was just so upset, like, you know, like, why does it have to be like this? Like, why can't I have a little bit of freedom? If if dad would just let me have a little bit of freedom, I would tell him everything. Like, I didn't want to keep secrets from him, but I almost felt like I had to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm writing a book about secret keeping, about what keeping secrets does to people. It can uh, tear people apart. It can, you know, it's, it's, it's cruel to make someone have to keep them. But the only way the cult can continue is by uh, not allowing you those small freedoms and forcing you into a position where you have to keep sure. secrets. Did, did that sort yeah. of create a, a double uh, life for you a little bit? A little bit. And it didn't last long. I think it was only, you know, a few months before like everything was found out and then dad was like, hey, you know, you got to figure this out or um, there's other alternatives. And what was happening was either they would send the girls or boys, the kids out of the community and have them like go figure out life on their own. Or sometimes they would like ship them off across borders into um, like there was like communities that were focused on like teenagers trying to get them to just conform 
So they were like really focused in on that. In Canada, they did that. They would ship some kids off to Canada. And he did threaten me with that one where he was like, it's either you straighten up or you might have to leave or you could go to Canada. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I'll just do what you say. I didn't want to leave. I, I had my mom there for one and I just, you know, love my mom. <laughs> so... A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's it's that first one's a really interesting option. I didn't I didn't in, envisage, which is that you can leave. It's just you're going to go out on your own and have to figure things out on on your own. Did that happen to people then? Yeah, yeah, it did all the time. Um, if you didn't conform, like it was, you were shunned by your family. Um, excommunicated. Yeah, ex- excommunicated. Which you know, in time, is what happened to me. Um, but I was older, so I could handle it. Like. I was an adult. I could figure out life, you know. It's it's like a an incredibly cruel thing to do to someone to be ex, to excommunicate them. And I think that's something for people who haven't grown up in those kinds of cults and things 
might not understand because they think, oh, well, you're free then. You're out. <laughs> and it's just, sure. it's, it's cruel. It's, it's, it's not a nice thing to do to people though, is it? No. Um, and, and it's true. You know, like there is a form of freedom that you feel when you first leave, but there's also like just a longing for your family and the people that you love, you know? Um, you don't get to talk to them. They won't allow you, like if you were to ring them on the phone, they wouldn't pick up. Like they don't, they're not allowed to do that or they would, you know, potentially lose their place. And then it's just like a big chain reaction. So you grew up um, in, in this polygamous family and then it was expected of you. You said that you were sort of just placed with someone. So how did that happen? Um, I was 16 and um, it was like a Sunday morning. They called and told me someone was going to pick me up and to be waiting outside. So I went out there. Oh, they told me the person picking you up is not your husband. So I was like, okay, I'm not marrying whoever that is that picks me up. So it was a man. He picked me up and took me to this home. It was someone's home. And they just like had me wait in this room until they were ready. And then I walked in and they were like, okay, this is who you're going to, this is who you're being placed with. And then we did this like, religious ceremony thing and then we left together wow is that legally uh, married then no no he was already married he had he already had a wife with i think five kids at the time yeah five mm. and you were 16 how, how old was he 34 jesus christ well, that's illegal i mean aside from the polygamous part but that's underage in the states isn't it it, oh yeah, eighteen's legal age. Um, so I was definitely still a kid, um, and that is, that's. I mean, sixteen. I'm glad I was sixteen and not younger than that. Oh. There are there are brides that were as young as eleven years old, <gasps> um, and yeah. Oh my god! And they're just and they're actually, you know, being involved. They're they're sexually abusing them. I, I believe so. Um, there are there was I'm not sure if there if there's access to them anymore, but there was um, on the internet there was uh, records and some proof of that that they had found during a raid on one of the communities in 2008. Okay. Wow. So is that relatively extreme, or do you think that might have been going on even more than we've found out? I think that there is much more to it than people know. Yeah. The leader, I mean, you don't really mind me saying his name, do you? I just don't I've, like I've, to write it. No, it's fine. I don't like to write his name out on my Instagram because I just don't, he don't deserve it. So I don't care if you say it though. It's fine. Yeah. Well, he's just one of the worst people in the world. So um, uh, and just so people know, me saying his name is not uh, uh, condone, condoning. Is that the right word? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is not, I'm not condoning him by saying his name. Um, makes me think of uh, Voldemort in, in Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> did you ever read Harry Potter? I've watched the movies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He who must must not be named, but but that sort of gives him more power in a way, doesn't it? Sort of so powerful. He Sometimes. I don't, yeah. 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 Well, it's he hard, got. I know. Yeah. He got um, arrested, Warren Jeffs, um, and, and I think he's gone away forever now uh, to prison. Was he. Am I right that he was sleeping with underage yes, children? Yes. Um, and that, that's the evidence that was found was between him and um, other underage partners um there was like recordings and whatever 
and I'm sure you can still go find them on the internet. I haven't tried to, um, but they do show them in that last documentary called Keep Sweet on mm-hmm. Netflix. I think that they are played in there. Um, so, yeah. Did you ever meet Warren Jeffs? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot. He was the one that performed my religious marriage ceremony or whatever um, because he was the leader. What impression did you have of him just meeting the man? Well, I kind of grew up with him um, as my school principal at first, and then he became the leader later on. And um, he he very much just carried like this very charismatic like energy about him. Like when he walked in, everyone would just like, oh my gosh, he's here. Like, you know, and that's how it was as a teenager up into a, uh, up until a certain point. There did come a time where I was like, I just don't like him that much. Um, I just felt, I don't know what it was. I think that's when my spirit started to really feel conflicted about like some of the things that he was doing and the requirements that he had put on the people with just, it just felt like too much. And that's when I started to just, um, I had a lot of resentment towards him during that time. You know, just like, how can he like make us do this? Even though I did those things and like tried to obey and do, you know, to keep my place, I still had so many questions at that time. What were some of the more extreme things he was making everybody do? Um, the first time I really just started feeling that way was um, the, the person, the man that I had been placed with disappeared um, in the night and um, <laughs> I'm going to try not to cry. Um, That's okay. Do you need a moment? Yes, please. Do you want to grab a, a glass of water sure. or whatever you want? I'll be right back. How you doing? I'm good. Um, okay. It's weird how some. Go on, sorry. sorry I was sorry. gonna say it, it's uh it's weird sometimes because um there's parts of my story that I don't even feel this way about most of the time. It's um sometimes that thing when you're. I don't know if you've seen when people or if you've had to do this when you give like a speech in public or you have to talk publicly. Sometimes it's like I, I, feelings I didn't even know I had or maybe I don't even have and the, yeah. your voice starts to wobble and then you think, God, everyone's <laughs> listen, listening to my voice wobbling. Uh, is it going to wobble more? And that makes it wobble more. Then you go red and then you're crying <laughs> suddenly. Um, you know, and people are just singing your happy birthday and you're just crying there. <laughs> crying, yeah. So, yeah. Is it, it's do you think true. it's... Is it important for you to speak out about this? It is, um, and I'll tell you why. Um, Excuse me. It's really important because I want people to know the dangers um, about cults and to eat how, I mean, how to know if they're even in one. Mm -hmm. And um, because it's huge, people, I didn't know I was in a cult. I didn't know until I was out. And then I looked at it and I was like, wait, it's not a cult. I had denied it for years. 
<clears throat> and then I came across something that was like, how to know if you're in a cult? And everything was listed out. <laughs> and I was like, wait, like, are you serious right now? So. Was it um, Steve Hassan's bite model? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember what it was. It was just like, it was like a shared, it was just written out somewhere. I don't remember if I saw it on like Facebook or something, but I remember just reading through that and I was like, wow, am I, was I really in a cult? Like, are you serious? You know? And, and the more I've like, obviously I've delved into it way, like so much more over the past couple of years, trying to um, decide how to share with others and like, help them save themselves from situations like this. Um, it became super important that I share my story um, to empower others to, you know, if they really feel trapped in a situation, they can get out. Like there, you do have that option, you know, even if you believe that you don't, there's always that option to leave and it, yeah. something better. So it's, it's, um, it's as you say. I, I think you're absolutely right that it's so hard to know if you're in a cult. I found myself just a few days ago arguing with a flat earther. He believes the Earth is flat, and um, he he was telling me that I'm in the cult, and I was right. just like, "Oh, come on!" But then I thought, well, <laughs> you know, if I'm in the cult, then of course I'm going to think he's an idiot. I mean, I'm in the majority here, right? But we might, maybe we're all. I, not that I think he's right for a minute. I just, I just mean that that's how hard it is to know. And the, I mentioned it's the bite model by by Steve Hassan, but Steve Hassan also fell into a cult. Um, that's why he's so into it uh, because oh. he, he was in the Moonies cult um, because three women approached him and told him one day just after his girlfriend had broken up with him, so he was very vulnerable and mm -hmm. said, "Hey, have you heard about Reverend Moon? Uh, he's the son of God or whatever it might be," and he just fell for it. So it's it is really. Um, it is really hard. Is it maybe about Warren Jeffs? Is that is that a bit too much to talk about, do you think, now? No, no. Um, usually the only time I feel like a lot of those feelings bubbling up is when I talk about how I had to leave my kids. That's usually <sighs> my, like, that's the hardest, I think, part about telling my story. Um, the other parts, I think it's just like, I think I'm at a point now in like my healing journey that sometimes it even surprises me that this all happened. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? I know. Like where I'm yeah. like, wait, did that actually happen? Like, and is it still happening to people right now? Like, yes, it is. And that's where I get a little bit choked up over it because I'm like, how, how can, like, how can we make people more aware of like the dangers they don't even know that they're not free and they deserve to be free. So that's where I get a little choked up, I think. Well, hope, I mean, look, the hope is that there'll be somebody who is sort of questioning already a little bit, who tunes into this and sure. who it gets them thinking. And also, mm -hmm. I mean, as we continue talking, I don't, I don't want you to feel, I mean, if you do feel a bit emotional, you know, I've done 300 episodes and it is emotion. They are emotional topics and people True. cry in them. My friend Sean last night was just crying, talking about something or rather, you know, so uh, people do and it's, it's, you know, no one's judging or thinking, you know, they know that you've been through a lot. I mean, you've been through yeah. a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. oh, I get, well, I suppose we could, we can move on with your, with your story too. Okay. So you're with this guy. Um, 
What was he like? I mean, he's double your age, which is insane. What What was he like? You know, and that's that's the crazy part here too. Is it's like when people ask me that, I'm like, he was not abusive to me. Um, there was, I feel like with every relationship, there there's obviously some emotional abuse uh, going on, and you don't really know that it's happening until later. Um, but it's this. They ingrain and raise these men, these boys, to be these kind of men, the men that control. They want men to have control, so they raise the boys that way. So when they do have wives, they control their wives too, or their women, or whatever. Um, I don't really consider myself as married. I call myself, I say married, but I never was married to him um, legally, you know. And but so for the most part, like. He never like laid his hand on me and and was in you know um abusive in that way but a lot of the control and the manipulation is where like I struggled quite a bit as I came out um with like realizing that that was a huge part of what I had to like get through was all these years of like manipulation and being told I mean I was a lot more wild and like carefree as a child. And then when I was placed with him, I was too much. I was told, you know, you're laughing too boastfully. You need to be quiet. Like, um, you know, so things like that. So I, like I said, it's not like he ever laid his hand on me, but that emotional, like, I, I call it abuse. Cause I feel like it was, um, of being yeah. told that, you know, you're too much, you need to be quiet. Uh, don't laugh so much. Um, just do what I can tell you to, you know, like there was never room for like, I don't feel good about that. I don't want to do that. Can I just like not take on that responsibility? There was never that option. You did what you were told, you know, and there was times when I was pregnant and the workload would just be massive, like almost unrealistic for a pregnant woman, you know, and there was a few times I went to him over it and he was just like, sorry, you know, you have this responsibility, pregnant or not, you still have to show up and take care of these 10 kids and, uh, you know, grow the garden and plant the um, railroad ties for the fence. Like there was no, like, it didn't matter. You know, you had a job and you had to do it regardless. So was, was he working hard at the time? Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's another thing is the men were very, very emotionally unavailable. They didn't really have time to like connect with anyone in their life, not even their children, not their kids, not their wives, anyone, because they were so, so overworked themselves. Um, they would send the men out to just work, 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 and turn all of their money in to the cult. And so it, that the abuse that I talk about, yes, it's very much focused on controlling women, but I think that there's also another kind that went on there towards the men too, um, as far as like how much they were required to work and turning in all their money. Um, and I don't want to overlook that because I know that there are men that come out and really struggle you know, like realizing, oh, I'm 35 years old and I don't even have anything to speak of. I've turned over everything I own, you know? 
And then any relationship they have with somebody, it might be hard for them to suddenly switch. You can't just like flip a switch and be like, well, now we're going to have a you know monogamous and equal relationship. And if I tell someone to do something, they don't have to do it. I mean, that that's quite hard. I know I don't want to excuse that kind of behavior. No, but if you've I been brought up Yeah. Yeah. Um, I struggled. You know, when I very first left, I when I was dating, I tried to date um, men that had left. And it was really hard for me because I was so like, just in my element, like I was wild. I just didn't, I didn't want to be told what to do. And so when I started dating these guys and they were like, well, you should this and that, I'm like, okay, I can't do it. You know, I, I can't do it. I need someone that will let me be me and they can be them. And then we come together and be a whole, you know? And so, yeah, I know that that is definitely a struggle. That's something that, to a lesser extent, of course, I think many couples struggle with and many people struggle with. Uh, I I think, I, I don't know, the more I do this job, the more I see that people uh, want to control their own environment, but that often leads to controlling the environment of the people around them in, in ways when they don't realize they're even doing it. And I think I had to learn that in my mid-20s or late-20s. It took a while to really understand how certain ways that, you know, even just like a, giving somebody a look, or maybe a girlfriend or whatever it might be because they were on their phone too long, just stuff like that. Instead of just being, you know what, let them do their thing as long as they let me do my, and then and then yeah. it, a more natural love can, can thrive. It's, that is so, so true, you know, and I've learned that even, I mean, the first, so my husband and I have been together for five years and the are the first couple of years of our relationship were difficult. Like he's a very um, outspoken guy. He knows what he likes and what he wants. And I'm also like that too. So it's like we clashed. Like we had there was times when I was like, wow, like, you know, I am stubborn and you're stubborn. Like we're just gonna <laughs> keep on being stubborn. Like, but there comes a point when it's you have to like, okay, well, you're your person and I'm mine. Like we can work through this. And that's exactly how it is. You know, um, you do have to understand that everyone has the right to choose that for themselves, like what they're going to do. If I just let them do what they're going to do, what is it going to be? Yeah. Yeah. And it might end up good for you and it might not. And I think the fact that it might not is that fear that we're losing control. Yep. And inevitably, the more you try to enforce that control, the more you push the other person away or frustrate them or they push back and then don't yep. give you that freedom. And it just and I think it's not just, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, wives. It's also uh, people you work with, family, friends, yep. and all those kinds of things. The more you just go, well, that person did a thing that disappointed me, but <laughs> That's fine. Let them it's do their fine. thing. Yeah. You, you can just breathe. And it's just such a nice um, a nice feeling. Obviously, in a cult, these things are times a thousand, intensified by a thousand. So you were with this this man. Okay, so he was making you look after, what, 10 kids, was it? So And domestic I mean, chores. It, yeah, it could have been more than that at any given time. <laughs> we had a lot of We had a lot of kids. There was, and I don't ever remember the exact number, but I want to say 21. Children. How do you fit um, them in a house? <laughs> they had very large houses. Um, wow. Yeah, they would all live together and try to like fit them all in there. They would have um, just big homes with you know anywhere between, depending on your family size, eight to ten to twenty bedrooms, whatever whatever your family size was. Mm -hmm. Where's this wealth coming from? Um, I, the men working, like I mean, they work this way. 
a lot of them were business owners, very successful business owners. Um, and they made lots of money, uh, even though they turned a lot of it into the church. Um, they were building, you know, making homes for families and stuff. Like not all the money went to that, but a lot of it did to try to like house people and feed them. Yeah, yeah. Also, I forget that in, in America, particularly in rural parts, I think houses are a bit larger for what for what you pay because in the UK you pay like a million dollars for like a, a, a tiny a, little yeah a closet <laughs> or something. So it's no good yeah. here. So yeah. yeah, that's true. Whenever I've been to America, I'm just often amazed by some of the homes and the sizes and things. So they're there massive. Is that, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and so, that's yeah. how they were. Like they were just really big homes, and um, they just kind of—if you built it yourself, you built it for the size of family you had. If you didn't, they would just like move you into a home that like fit your family better or whatever. Were you expected to um, have sex with this man and perform duties and things like in that respect? Sure, um, it's very uncommon for a woman to deny their man um, in that culture um because it's a way of disrespecting your they call them priesthood heads or your you know like they were over you so you honored obeyed and you know did everything they asked you to and that that you know that even came down to that like you didn't get to say no um i never even tried to say no i didn't dare um you know being grown up in that i never even thought women had the option so man that's such yeah. a, it's so sad isn't it and and also i mean you you can't i mean it's not about the woman's enjoyment in those kinds of circumstances if it's a situation sure. where you can't even say no you can't you can't find enjoyment in that can you no not really you know um it's it's hard because i you know i've talked to a lot of women that have come out um of that community and they were just all like it was very systematic and it was just like you know yeah. If yeah. he wants it, he wants it. And yeah. And and so. that led to you having children with him. Right. Yep. I had I had four four children. Hmm. And so and you spoke before, you mentioned there was some of that jealousy dynamic with the other wives. How many other wives were there? There was four others. So um he had one, I came along, and then he took three more after that. So, so five in total. Is that very confusing then? Because part of you is going, look, I don't even want this this kind of whatever. And then another part it of you was. is going, hang on, you know, who yeah. are these other women? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's very confusing. I know, and I know that, like, as a onlooker, you're like, okay, so you didn't want it, but you did. It was more of the like, if you were the person getting attention, then your workload was cut back. You were, you felt more important. Um, in that moment or that like i'm not just talking about like intimacy either i'm just talking about the attention itself um and that's where a lot of the jealousy actually came from it wasn't um knowing that they were doing things like that it was more of just like watching him you know hold hands with one of them or you know hugging someone on the couch like sitting there flirting and whatever right in front of you and it's just like Every woman wants to feel desired or um, taken care of in that way. So I was more jealous over that kind of thing than being intimate, if that makes well, sense. It does, absolutely. And then with respect to the attention, 
I mean, it's not like I imagine in this in this society, are you able to? You're not going to like go out dancing on a Saturday or go and play soccer, and everyone's watching you. Is is the home the only place you can get any semblance of attention? Um, no, I mean, not necessarily. They did change the rules as time went on, but at first, it was if he chose to hold your hand in public, that was fine. I mean, you were together, placed together by the leader, so and everyone knew that, you know, so. If he held your hand or was, you know, flirty with you in some way in public, it wasn't a problem. Oh, I suppose what I mean is, um, it, he and the home and him become your only source of attention. Like, you, oh yes, like, oh yes. When I say okay. like you can't go and play soccer because that's like okay. you doing something outside of him, where people are like, yeah. oh, you're fantastic at this sport. Well done. Here's a hug <laughs> and great. That your only thing is through him, isn't it? Yes. Um, any form of a male attention was to only come from this man obviously like you were being um disloyal if you ever were to entertain anything else um you know which makes sense in my marriage now like i would never but like back then i'm like hey you can have lots of partners but i can't even have attention from Mm. you know so but even even non-romantic attention like, is it, was there any space for that? Even just people saying like, well done and, you know, I, I like your dress or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know uh, what exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to think like if it was another woman. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but men, no. Um, I think the only, there was a very small handful of people that I ever hugged that weren't um, it, men that I hugged that weren't my partner. And my dad was probably one of them and maybe just a couple others like my grandpa. But uh, physical connection um was very limited for sure were the other women jealous of you i'm sure that they had their moments just like just like i did of them um i don't know i haven't really asked them was there never like a crossword between you no we and, and i never did that to them like it was um well for one jealousy the feeling of jealousy was considered uh a sin so if you were feeling those feelings, you definitely, like for me, I would always just like withdraw and go try to pray them away or, you know, work work on those feelings. So I wasn't feeling that way, which it, that's very difficult. Um, when you're feeling something, you're feeling something like, what yeah, can you do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's one of the most disgusting things about like cults and that kind of coercive control is making you feel ashamed for things you feel that you have no uh-huh. control over. It must have yeah. got pretty unbearable for you to go about leaving. Um, well, so what actually really clicked for me when I was like, hey, I'm done, was they actually sent my ex and the other four women out of the community um, and made them like leave all their children. And I, for the reason, I don't know, like it never really made sense to me, but they were just like, Hey, you guys are unworthy. You need to leave by tonight. And so they packed their things and left. And at that point I was like, you know, we had an okay relationship considering like me and my ex, I was, you know, thinking about that. I'm like, considering I just don't think that I'm ever going to get placed with another person that I was able to get along with as well as we did. Um, you know, even though there's obviously rifts 
he had more than one wife. There was no way for us to like really get close or anything like that. But I was afraid of being one of those women, you know, 25 years old, married to an 80 year old man or, um, you know, so I was really scared of who they would put me with next. And that was like the breaking point for me. I was like, I'm done. I, I don't want someone to pick who I go into a relationship with again. Like I'm not going through this. So I started to kind of just go my own way and do things that I knew would eventually get me removed from the community, but I really didn't like care that much about it at this time. How does that, I mean, is there a conversation with your, with your parents and, and people that you knew in the community when you leave? Um, after my ex got sent away, I was sent to go live with my dad and his family and my kids. So me and my kids moved into my dad's house. And when you're an adult, even even as an adult, you don't have a voice. You don't get to choose things for yourself. It was my dad still choosing things. So again, another man still controlling everything I do, all my choices, everything. So I move into his home and I was starting to secretly date someone Again, I secretly dating um, because if anyone finds out, there's punishment. So I dated this guy um, and my dad finds out and he was like, okay, so you're either going to have to move out into a home, another home in the community, but not mine. Or like there was a few options and... I just told him, I just don't want to live here in the town anymore. I'll just like get myself an apartment like an hour away. You don't have to worry about me anymore. I'll just do that. And he was like, no way, you can't. And so I stayed at his home for a while longer. And then eventually he did help me move to that apartment that I wanted to move into anyway um, because I wouldn't stop doing the things that he thought I needed to do. And the conversations weren't like I support you or anything like that. There was definitely conversations, but it was like, you are so in the wrong here. Like you need to stop uh, seeing, seeing this guy. You need to stop talking to him. Like you need to come home and just focus on like being a housewife, you know, even though I wasn't like technically married at the time. Well, it's such a sad uh, predestiny for people who don't want a lot of people do want to be a housewife or whatever and that's fine sure, but for those sure, who yeah. don't want to it's so sad <laughs> yeah and I'm like I have there's no shame in being a housewife like I actually really enjoy those things now um, but it's a choice like I want to so that's the difference and I, I was it. just having that conversation with someone yesterday I'm like the difference between um, a cult and and not a cult you can do the same things like keeping yeah. a house it's the choice that you get to choose to do that. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Having to do it, that's it's just just awful. Um, so I know this is obviously a sore point, but but you know, your the family they were excommunicated, your ex and uh -huh. the dozens of of children, including the four of your own biological children. Are, are you able to speak to them now? I went. I went back and got them. Um, oh wow! Yeah. So we were apart separated for a year and a half. That was from 2013 to the middle of 2015. 
And I went back with like, I had an attorney. I had, um, I actually had a couple of attorneys on my side. Um, and we just went into the community with like paperwork and everything where I was like, you have to give me my kids. Like, this is what, this is what I have. Hand them over. And, you know, there was a lot of like back and forth, like, no, you don't deserve them. You know, my dad was not on board with that at all. He's the one that had them. And, um, I just, I wasn't leaving without them. And so I was able to get, I was able to get them at that time. So. God, I just, I'm imagining as you, as you tell it, I imagine it in my mind and just the chaos in that moment where you're there and you're shouting at your dad going, I'm not leaving until I get my kids. (laughs) Bloody hell. What a moment you had to go through to get them. Sure. Um, and you know, my dad was really trying to, um, frighten me or like scare me off and so he had like all 30 of his family members like come out to like where we were standing talking and like just stand around like in this like moon Uh. and we're like standing at, at the head of it like talking and this is where I like choke up because I remember I looked over and I saw my three boys just stand Yeah, it must it must have just been such a difficult moment for you. Oh gosh, I'm happy you're 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 telling this as you say. You know, getting this out there, what you had to go through. And so many, so many women in particular that I've had to speak to, but men as well, who've had to get their kids back, and that is just the most heartbreaking part of it. But but I mean, you're you're in that sense fortunate you were able to get them. How fantastic is that? Right. Like, um, it, I, I didn't know how that day would go, to be honest. Um, you know, I didn't know if I had everything that I needed to make them give them to me. So I, I didn't know if they were just going to be like, you have to go, you can't have them. Like, I just didn't know how that was going to play out. So when I left and I had the boys, it was like, my daughter, uh, and I say the boys, I actually have a daughter too. Um, she had already been like sent out of the community to go live with my ex um, at this time. And I actually didn't really know that uh, mm-hmm. until I went back for my kids. So that was a whole nother thing that I had to work through um, on its own. So. Oh my gosh. How old were they roughly? Um, let's see here. Just were they, were they young, young children? Yeah, they were young. Okay, so my daughter was like 10, 11. Okay. Yeah. They were wow. really young. Mm-hmm. And you and did you manage to go and get her as well? Yeah, so my ex and I were able to like eventually work something out to where we had, if, if the kids were visiting him, they were all visiting him. And if they were with me, they were with me. Um, and like, you know, there was differences in our beliefs. Like he still very much was... Uh, in belief of like the cult and what they were doing was right, even though they had sent him away. And I was like very much not. So we kind of had to just come to terms with like, we kind of need to let the kids decide um, what's best for them. And, you know, it it really just came down to that. And neither of us were ever to force like our beliefs on them. So. Oh, that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Do, do you speak to your parents at all anymore? 
Yeah. So my mom left about, I want to say five to six years ago. So a few years after I did, for about four years after I did, then my mom and most of my sisters actually um, just, got, they all left at the same time. They were just like, we're done. Sounds like, a, a, you know, a, a happy ending. Yeah, it is. Like, um, <laughs> you know, because I never, I actually thought I would never speak to my mom again. When I went to get my kids, I thought that was it. That's the last time. There's no reason for me to talk to my mom. She doesn't have my kids anymore. This is it, you know? And I never, ever imagined her leaving. She just seemed so faithful. And she's just such a sweetheart, you know? And I thought she's just going to stay faithful to my dad forever. And then one day she just was done with it. And her and my sisters decided to make a life of their own. It makes you think, doesn't it? Because all of that time and you felt so alone with your doubts, your mom was, you know, what must she have been thinking the whole time? Right. Um, you know, I think that she was having her own doubts too. When someone leaves, it's not a one time, oh, I doubt this and then they leave. It's years yeah. and years and years of doubts and confirmation of like, wow, you know what? I have a reason to doubt this over and over and over before someone finally is like, okay, I'm going now. So. Cece, where would you like to send people who've listened to this? Maybe your Instagram or something like that? Yeah. So I have, uh, like I'm pretty, I've built a pretty big community on Instagram, cc.hendrickson. And then I have a brand that I created. I'm wearing a shirt from it, Pink Valor. It, um, it's just like, has like lots of t-shirts and stuff that have like messages, um, about like rebels and wild women kind of just as a way to like empower other people. And um, because I have connected with so many others that aren't even from the FLDS who have come from very similar backgrounds or even like abusive relationships or places where they just really felt stuck. And we just like created a community over there. And so I felt like we kind of all needed to have those reminders of like how strong we are and that we can really just come out of anything and makes such a better life for ourselves if, you know, if our heart and soul is like pulling us to choose that, we do have the choice to do it. Well, people can find Cece Hendrickson Instagram. It will be in the in the description if you're listening on audio or on YouTube. It'll be on the description there. And Pink Valor, that's what you're going. If you're ever going to buy some stuff, you want to feel empowered and you want to support Cece, of course, as well, my wonderful guest. Please, please do that. Thank you, Cece Hendrickson, for coming on the show. Guys, do check out her Instagram. She was absolutely brilliant. She pulled through the whole thing, despite being obviously very emotional, as many of my guests are, because these are difficult topics to talk about. I'm sure for some of you guys, it was difficult to listen to as well. Get hold of her on Instagram, Cece Hendrickson, and consider getting some of her uh, her clothes and things, Pink Valor. Have I done that justice? Again, I don't do very good advertising of people's stuff, but it looks great to me and she's great and i'm very happy that she came on the show i'll see you guys very soon